Mr. and I uh, often text each other from Arizona to here. We used to text each other on back and forth on the pew <laughs> on Sabbath morning. And uh, he asked me if I was uh, back on point this morning. Being on point can mean a lot of things. I hope it means only the best of things. I am glad to be back at Grace Point this morning. Um, As you are aware, we uh, have recently, I shared with some of you who were here for the announcements, uh, recently completed, I think, what will be the last of our Reformation tours for now. Um, We did a a, a sort of a Lutheran, uh, German through... uh, through actually Rome Reformation Tour about two or three years ago, and we just finished what would be more likely called the Northern Reformation, although we didn't go all the way up into those Nordic countries. We went to uh, did England, Belgium, and uh, France, and uh, we had a good time. We uh, missed you all. I listened to Sarah Peterson's sermon. I actually watched it on video on YouTube and enjoyed that, and uh, I also had the, or had the opportunity, you had the opportunity to have Dave Osborne here. I haven't been able to, to hear Dave's sermon, but I heard from several of you that it was really good, that you were blessed, that he, uh, he touched your hearts. And so um, we're glad that you were in good hands while we were gone. And uh, this morning we're going to continue this sermon series that we've been doing called Things I Want to Talk About. And uh, I'm really happy for this sermon series because I get to talk about things I want to talk about. I don't have to be hemmed in by any specific projection of this is what we're going to do for the next few weeks. But today I want to talk about things that are missing, about something that's missing. Um, Have you ever been at a time in your relationship with someone, spouse, friends, family, where something just isn't clicking in that relationship? You know, sometimes you're just cruising along and everything's great and everything's fine. And then once in a while stuff happens and it just kind of gets out of sync. Have you ever been in that place? Ever been in that place in your relationship with God? Where you're going along, everything seems to be doing well, and then something doesn't happen. It just starts to to not click the way it was clicking before. You were doing really well. Everything was good. You had this hunger and thirst for righteousness, as the scriptures say. But then all of a sudden, you just kind of got a little dry. And as one of my friends used to say, your morning devotionals stopped feeling like you were getting up and having that great breakfast with God, and it felt like you were getting up and eating a cereal box with God. In that relationship, there are ups and downs. In the life of a church, there are ups and downs. Today I want to look at Revelation chapter 2. I think it's one of those scariest things stated in Scripture. In Revelation chapter 2, verses 1 to 4, you'll find these words. If you have your Bible, I want to invite you to open it up to Revelation. That's the last book in the Bible. It's, it's, if you have gotten into maps and things like that, you've passed it up. Um, so if you're looking in your Bible, Revelation chapter 2, the last book of the Bible, second chapter of that book. I'm going to begin in verse 1. This is a a series of messages to the angels of the church that are in Asia Minor. And uh, someday I'd love to go see those with a bunch of you. So verse 1 of chapter 2. I'm reading the New King James Version, and this is what it says. To the angel of the church of Ephesus write. He's telling John, write this down. This is a message for that group. Write these things, says he who has holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst of the seven golden lampstands. I know your works, your labor, your patience, 
that you cannot bear those who are evil. You have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them liars. You have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Does this sound like a good group so far? Yeah, these people are working. They're trying hard to follow after God. Nevertheless, verse 4, this is the scary verse to me. Nevertheless, I have this against you. Now, if we just stopped right there, and you were, you were sitting in your, in your uh, favorite place for prayer, you're kneeling beside your bed, you're in your living room, and you've got your, 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 your books out, and you've sat down, and you've started journaling your prayer, and the Holy Spirit spoke to you, and God said, I have this against you. Would that be a a moment of just a little bit of uh, trepidation for you? I think it would be a lot of trepidation for me. I think it would be like, okay, I'm going to make sure I write this down in caps. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You guys are doing it right. You you can't stand evil. You've you've checked the apostles who say they're apostles and they're not. You're working, following after me, trying to do my will. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen. In other words, remember what it used to be like. And do the first works, or else I will come quickly and remove your lampstand from its place, unless you repent. Now, unless you think that last thing is some kind of a threat, let me just describe it for you. I'll give it to you real, real simple. I'll give it to you in crater roll language, maybe kindergarten language. You ready? Ready? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Right? Won't let Satan do what to it? Blow it out. I won't hide it under a bushel. Jesus is saying, your light's flickering, guys. It's flickering, and it's barely an ember now. It's about to drop. It's about to close off. And what, what do you do with a candle that goes out? You replace it with a candle that's lit, Right? That's what he's simply saying. He said, your candle's about to blow out, you guys. You're, you're about to lose the light. You're doing all of these things. It's going really well, but nevertheless, nevertheless, something's about to blow out. Churches go through seasons like this. I would say that about seven, eight years ago, this church had a blowtorch for a candle. I don't know what was happening. One of the crazy things that was happening in, happening in this church, we had, it feels pretty full today, doesn't it? Yeah. Well, back four, five, six, seven years ago, probably seven years ago, we were putting chairs along the walls. All the wall spaces were filled in. There was a single row between those pillars and those pillars, and it was filled in all the way around. We had that pew in the back that the deacon sat on. Now you guys have taken residence over there. That, that was always full. And it was just a packed place, and there was this blowtorch of a light blowing. People were just showing up. We didn't know where they were from. People were coming time after time and telling us the same story. Hey, uh, you know, I'm kind of wondering about my relationship with God, or I've wandered away from God, or I've decided that I'm going to give the church one last try, and one of my friends said, go to Grace Point before you quit. And we had time after time after time where people were coming saying, this, is, this has been a place where I've found a relationship with God. This is the place where I've rediscovered a relationship with God. I remember one woman who came. I actually remember two cases of this. Ladies who came, and for the first like three or four months, they wept every Sabbath. I didn't know what to do. They just wept. 
and I was worried about it. I, was, I, I didn't know whether I was causing somebody pain. I didn't know what was going on. But after, after we got to talking and started talking about what was going on, what was blessing them was that for the first time they understood that God loved them unconditionally. I say that was a blowtorch blow torch blowing in this church at that time. We've been through a little bit of some downtimes. I feel like the, the, the light's picking up some oxygen right now. But I feel like we're kind of in this place with this church a little. A little bit like this. There's, there's some lost first loves going on in this, in this congregation. I wore my suit and tie today, so you should have expected this. I feel like there's a... Yeah, this is the indicator right here. I feel like there's been a little bit of a, a lull, and that, the, 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 that, that flame's been flickering some. And people attribute it to lots of different kinds of things, I think. But I just want to kind of go back and talk through some of the things I think the Bible is saying about what goes on when there's a flicker in the life of the church, a flicker in the life of the individual. All right? So I want to talk about that this morning. Here's that passage. I know all the things you do. I've seen your hard work and your patience and your endurance. I know you don't tolerate evil people. How'd you like to go to a church that doesn't tolerate evil people? Depends on if you're the evil person or not, right? But in reality, what it's saying is you protect your people from evil people. You don't let people who are evil and mean and bent on doing harm invade your church. You don't tolerate that. You don't tolerate people harming other people in your church. Now would you like to go to that church? Yeah, you'd like to be protected. I'd like to be protected. And the reality is if you're a e- person bent on evil and you show up at a church, you should be surrounded by people who say, you, no, 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 we don't want you biting off people's heads in our congregation. Thank you very much. Stop that. Right? You, don't, you don't let tolerate evil people. You've examined the claims of those who say they're apostles but are not. These are people who are checking, they're reading, they're examining. How do you examine something, somebody who claims they're an apostle who are not? Biblically, right? By their, by their fruits, you will know them. You look at the biblical expectations. You say, what does the Bible say is supposed to be happening? You examine them. You look at the preacher and you say, is he really saying what God is saying? About um, 15 years ago now, I preached a sermon in this, in this congregation, not in this building. And afterwards, we had our second look class, and a guy challenged me on whether what I said was biblical or not. It's the only time it's happened. It probably should have happened more often. But he said, here's what the Bible says, here's what you say. I don't think what you said was biblical. I had to get up the next week and apologize for what I said and restate and clean up what I had said. Somebody checked to see if what I was saying fit with what God, God's word said. Should be done. Should be done. We should be doing that all the time. Don't just accept somebody's words because they're standing up here. Don't just accept somebody's words because they're on television. Don't just accept somebody's words because they have the office of preacher for the moment. Right? You should be checking. They are doing that in this church. So far, church. You have discovered they are liars. And you have patiently suffered for me without quitting. But I have this complaint against you. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. This is a New Living Translation's picture of it. You don't love me or each other as you did at first. Takes a shot at, hey, here's the reason that you're off the thing. This is why your, your candle is flickering a little bit. Because you don't love each other or me as you did at first. Look how far you have fallen. Turn back to me and do the works you did at first. Now, we talked about repenting before, right? The New Living Translation gives you a really good translation of what repenting is. Here's what it is. Turning around, going on in the other direction toward God. Turn back to me. 
If you don't repent, I will come and remove your lampstand from its place among the churches. Again, I want you to see that last thing as what you would do if a candle goes out. You just remove it and put one in that's that's lit, right? You have seen and been part of churches whose lights have gone out. You know what it's like when you walk into one, right? My youngest son has been traveling. He's been, he was in Louisville, Kentucky um, with his wife. Uh, my youngest son, Spencer, for those of you who know him, he's an engineer. His wife was, is in school. She's studying to be an audiologist. And as uh, she's finishing her doctorate in audiology in Louisville, Kentucky, they went looking for churches. And my son called me up and he said, Dad, do you know anybody in Louisville? The churches around here are awful. And I'm not just complaining about Louisville. I think you could actually throw this blanket on a lot of places. He said, I, I can't find one. He said, I look on the internet and it says, oh yeah, they have 200 members in this church. And I, I think, okay, great. I'll go to the church and there's six or seven people who are one foot on a banana peel and the other foot in the grave. He said, their churches are cold and they're unfriendly and they're not welcoming and I just don't feel like it's a place where I want to go. Now, thankfully, he found a place where he was engaged. But, but what, what's a little disturbing for me as a preacher is he found a church I told some of you this story before. And the church did not have a pastor yet. There were between, between pastors. And he said to me, this is what he told me on the phone. He said, well, they don't have a pastor at this church, but at least I'd be able to roll the dice that it'll be better than the others. <laughs> Luckily it was. And they found a church where they could be a part and where they were welcomed and where they were blessed. They've moved to Cleveland, Ohio. I asked him how he was doing finding a church. I gave him the name of a church. A, a, a guy I know moved from there. He said, hey, send him to this church. My, my son went to this church. He said, we drove around for 45 minutes and never found it. There's a lack of a sign. I'm concerned about the state of the church globally. I'm concerned about some places where the lights have gone out and they just haven't locked the door. I'm concerned that as a body, we need to keep our light fanned. We need to keep that flame burning hot. We need to keep that light glowing bright. And so when I feel that waning in our congregation, I feel like it's my responsibility as your pastor to talk to you about it. Nevertheless, I have this against you, have left your first love. Those of you who are new to this church since the last seven years, we're glad you're here. Those of you who come in and said, well, I wonder what this was like seven years ago. Don't leave. We'll turn it up the heat. We're going to kick some more flame in there and crank up the heat. Because it is by God's leading and God's blessing that stuff happens. We, we talk about this, we use the word it. We say, we went there, we felt it, right? We felt this thing, we felt it. It was just there. We kind of try to describe it and people say, well, how to explain what it is. And you go, I don't know, I don't know what it is. Craig Groeschel, a pastor from Oklahoma, uh, yeah, Oklahoma, wrote a book. And the title of the book was It. And the whole thing was about how you can get it, you can have it, you can lose it and not know that it's gone. Then you feel like it's gone and you look for it again. You can't find it anymore. And then you struggle to try to sort out what it is and then get it back into your life. In the church, it can go away. 
And in some places it already has. In my life, in my spiritual walk, in my personal relationship with Jesus, it can disappear. And I feel it. I don't know what happened to it. I just know it's missing. And I start struggling to look for it. And I try to jump through all these hoops and make it, ba- make it come back. And I start trying to change my performance. And I start changing my behavior. And I start looking at all the things that I can do to make it, ba- make it happen again. And I just can't get a hold of it. In Acts chapter 2, the church had it. Would you agree with me? Book of Acts chapter 2, the church had it. Preacher got up. Peter, the guy who was not all that uh, committed, the guy who struggled with his own relationship with God, who denied Jesus three times when Jesus needed him the most, who fell asleep on Jesus when Jesus was praying for his survival, that guy got up and preached. 3,000 people joined the church that day. 3,000 people joined the church that day. You know why? They walked in and something was going on. The Holy Spirit was moving through the place. It was moving on hearts. And things were happening. The church had it. They felt it. They could tell. And they could feel that thing and wanted to be a part of it. Then those who gladly received. This is right after the sermon. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized. So what happened to those who felt it and moved on it? You can respond. What happened? They were baptized. I want to talk to you. Some of you haven't been baptized. You ought to do something about that. Baptism is an exterior explanation and demonstration to the world of a change that's going on in your heart. Something's changed. It has begun to grow inside of you. And as that it is starting to grow, you stand up and say, hey, something's happening to me and I want you all to know. And you're baptized. And that baptism is a demonstration of a change in your life. It's a demonstration that you have turned around and you're going in a different direction. If you have not been baptized, you better get it done. You need to to commit yourself publicly to the changes God's making in your life. Seriously. Seriously. This group of people in the first century, that's the first thing they did. They responded publicly to what God was doing. And that day about 3,000 souls were added to them and they continued steadfastly in the Apostles' Doctrine. This is not the Apostles' Creed. It was written about 1,200 years later. This is the Apostles' Doctrine, the teaching of those apostles that were standing around them. So what was the next thing they did? They started studying. They started learning. They started spending some time trying to understand the scriptural, uh, scriptural, scriptural basis for the changes that were taking place. They started to study steadfastly the apostles' doctrine and fellowship. What's fellowship about? Fellowship is about you supporting me and me supporting you. It's about the transformation that is only possible when somebody else is holding your hand to do it. Many of us know we started out in our faith real strong and we we started off to church all by ourselves and we were good and we were ready to go and we thought it was awesome and we started moving. All I need is you, Jesus, and I got your Bible and I'm studying it. And then things started to cool down for us and we couldn't figure out why things were cooling down for us. And then we found a fellowship to be of believers to connect with. And as friends gathered around us, it kind of warmed that flame back up and we started hearing what they had to say about the scripture. We We started learning about what was going on in their lives and we didn't feel so isolated anymore. It started to strengthen us and that little bit of a flicker blew into a flame and it was back. They began to fellowship, breaking of the bread and in prayers. You know, one of the things that I'm most concerned about in the church everywhere is the church doesn't pray. 
Unless there's a crisis, we don't pray. Do you know your whole life is a crisis? It is. Because either you're going to make it or you're not. Either you're going to make it through today following Jesus or you're not. That's a pretty big crisis. Whether or not your house is on fire, whether or not your bank account is empty, whether or not your marriage is struggling, whether or not you just wrecked your car, whether or not the doctor just gave you bad news, you have a bigger fish to fry. And that is, where is my eternity going to be spent? How am I going today? Am I following Jesus? Am I not? Is my hand in the hand of God or is it not? Have I taken over driving for him or I've given it back to him? What's going on in my life today? We should pray. As a body for one another and for ourselves, every day we should be praying. There is a vacuum in the church where prayer is concerned. That is a global vacuum. It is in every church, in every denomination. We, especially in the, in the West, have the things we need so we don't pray. You wake up in the morning, the lights come on. If the lights don't turn on, you know what you do? Hey. If the PG&E guy sends you a note and says, we're turning off your lights and you don't have any money to keep them on, you know what you do? You pray. But if you get up every morning and they flip on and you don't think about it and you have an automatic withdrawal going to play your, pay your PG&E bill and your budget's not, not a, at all an issue, you know what you do? You turn on the lights. You don't think about it. In the Western world, things we need are in our hands, so we don't appeal to God for them. And when we don't appeal for our own needs, we stop appealing for one another's needs. This group was interesting that way. Fear came upon every soul. You know why fear came upon them? Because the disciples were just ordinary guys, just fishermen, tax collectors, just ordinary people. And God wanted these guys to know something was happening. Remember I told you fear of God is the beginning of wisdom? It was that initial statement. It was that initial place. God is doing something among these guys, and we need to recognize that it's not all, they're not all the same, that, we're, that God is moving. And so something changed in the relationship with these leaders, and they began to really respect these men, and they began to really revere these men. I'm not asking for it for me. I'm saying for them. God was moving, and these people said, hey, God is moving. And they began to understand that. And many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Notice that those things came one after the other. When the apostles were recognized by the body, God began to move differently among the body. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common. And this is the, this is the part. And made personal sacrifices for others who had need. Can I, just, can I describe it that way? Because when you read the text, we have, this, we have this real resistance against this text in the West. They sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all. We have this resistance against this because we are, in our world, independent. We're not socialists. We're not communists. We don't gather all of our stuff, in, stuff into a collective. Well, guess what? Church is a collective. It is. It's the way God designed it to be, that we would be a group of people supporting each other. And I know, I know exactly what you say, but there are people who abuse that. There are. There are. And there should be checks and balances to make that happen. But when was the last time you did something self-sacrificing for somebody else? Maybe in the church, maybe outside the church. Groeschelle describes it this way for, for you. He said, when I was a young guy, he said I was going to the church. I had been freshly converted. He was a, he was a, uh, high, or a college kid. He was drinking and 
partying and all kinds of stuff. And he had a dramatic conversion. He started going to this church and God was moving on his heart. And as God's moving on his heart, crazy things are happening in his life. And he's sitting there in church one day and he feels the Holy Spirit speaking to him. The Holy Spirit says, hey, give all the money you have in your wallet to that lady over there. And he's like, really, God, just give her everything in my wallet. Yeah, that lady right there. And so he did. He reached in his wallet. He had $5 in his wallet. He laid it on the line, gave it to that lady. And the lady broke out in tears. She said, you will not believe how you have blessed me just now. And he's thinking, yeah, that was my five bucks to have something to eat today. I was going to go out to lunch. It's a Sunday keeper. Went out to lunch after church. I was going to go out to lunch today. And I'm going to, that was my five bucks. I was, that's how I was going to eat. Now I got nothing. The lady said, I... I looked at my gas tank this morning when I came to church and I had a decision to make. Do I go to church or do I not? Because if I go to church, I'm not getting home. And you just put five bucks in my hand, that's going to get me to church and to work on Monday morning and maybe even Tuesday. And she wept and thanked him. He said about 15 years later, he was a successful pastor in a large church at this point, and he's sitting there and the Lord said, give Everything you have in your wallet to that person over there. He said, I looked at my wallet, I had a hundred bucks. He said, wait a second, Lord, there's a hundred bucks in my wallet. Remember how I've told you? Obedience is the means to and the measure of faith. You know what he just saw? He saw that he had five dollar faith, he did not have hundred dollar faith. Because he just closed his wallet and put it away, so this must be a mistake. God is not gonna ask anybody to give somebody a hundred bucks just untold. You don't even know the person. And so he sat there on his hundred bucks. Measure of his faith, five dollar faith. Never did find out what God had intended with that hundred dollars. You know what happened with the five? After church, somebody invited him to go to lunch with them and they paid. He said, I had thirteen dollars for lunch that day instead of five. God more than doubled my money. Where's your faith? How's it doing? When was the last time you did something truly self sacrificing for the good of others? For the good of the kingdom. For the good of somebody you didn't even know. See, that's what was going on in the first century church. Crazy stuff like that. They actually were doing stuff for each other that meant something. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house. This is what it looked like. They ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart. Praising God and having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being Saved. That's what it looks like. That's what it, IT, looks like. Those who were gladly received his word were baptized. They continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, breaking bread and prayer. All who believed were together and had all things in common, sold their possessions and goods, and divided them among all as anyone had need. So continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread of the house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God, having favor with all people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Their church was and is the sum of the actions of individuals. You know how the church gets it back? pretty simple. We get it back. When we get it, we got it. When you get it, I get it. When I get it, you get it. When we get it, we all got it. 
You know the church that you want to be a part of? It's the church described by the movements of the Holy Spirit. What is it that the Holy Spirit does in a person's life when he begins to take over, when a person really surrenders to the Holy Spirit? Oh, I know. Fruit starts popping out. Love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, patience. You want to be a part of that church? I want to be a part of that church where love, joy, peace, gentleness, kindness, patience are just popping out over everybody. Where cranky isn't one of the gifts of the Spirit. Where nasty isn't one of the gifts of the Spirit. Where they don't tolerate evil. Evil is the attempt to do something harmful to someone else. Where they, where they look into the Scriptures and they understand what it is that's going on and they balance everything that people say with the Scriptures. They're not going to run off every time somebody says, Hey, this is how you have to be ready for the end. This is the terrible, scary thing that's going on. They said, no, 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 wait, wait, wait. Revelation 7 says God is sealing his people before the end of time. And he's taking care of them. And he's walking them through the difficulties that are coming in the end. I don't have to be afraid because I have my hand in the hand of God. I don't have to be fearful because I have my hand in the hand of God. And I've learned to love God and perfect love casts out fear. So when I get a little shaky, when I get a little nervous, I lean into God and I breathe in the smell of his breath. And I wrap myself in his clothes and I say, hey, hey. I'm good here. I'm safe here. I'll just be held right here right now. I'm getting tired of preachers telling everybody we just ought to be afraid. I'm getting tired of a church that lives on fear. I'm getting tired of ministries on television over and over again. Not just Adventist ministries, but ministries of all kind shouting into the screen. You ought to be afraid. Jesus is coming and he is pissed. Excuse me for that language, but it's the only word available. Because here's what I understand. The book of Revelation is a revelation of Jesus Christ. A revelation of his heart, of his compassion, of his kindness and his caring. If Revelation is a continuation of the Gospels. You know what the Gospels keep showing me? Jesus walking into people's lives and dramatically impacting and changing and touching them. And showing them the heart of God. Are there scary things in Revelation? You bet there are, but don't stop at verse at chapter 19. Go back and read chapter 7 again. Go back and remember he's placing his mark on his people before the winds of strife are released in the world. The winds of strife are being released so that people understand that all decisions for God that could possibly be made have been made. Those who are following God are following God. Those who are not following God are not following God. There's no changes that are possible. God has tried everything possible to get everybody to follow after him. A line can be drawn now because nobody is left who has to make a decision. You know what I wish we could be? A place that celebrated the second coming of Jesus. A place where we were truly Adventist. You know what Advent means, right? It means the coming of Christ. Where we were truly celebrated, not in fear. We weren't shaking in our boots, worrying about it. Instead, we were looking into the heavens every morning saying, Is this a day? 
could this be the day? When we looked at our neighbors, our question was, how can I love them so that they will follow after Jesus? When we looked at our neighbors, we, we, we said in our heart, what could I do to help them find the relationship with Jesus that will transform everything for them? You know when that happens? When we decide to have it happen in us. Here's my challenge for you today. I want to challenge you to ask God to make you whole. To heal the brokenness that's in you. To go to him day after day after day and say, God, there's brokenness in me and I need it. I need it to be healed. I need to be transformed. I need to be more like Jesus. I need to be less of me and more of you. I want to challenge you to ask God for that healing, the infilling of the Holy Spirit that changes who you are, that takes out the anger, that takes out the frustration, that takes out the elements in you that make you misbehave. If we all do it, it happens. I want to ask you, To ask God to make you passionate for the lost. To make you passionate for the lost. To have a heart for the people around you who don't know Jesus. To have a heart for people who have no clue that your heart burns for people who have yet to hear that the second coming is good news. That your heart burns for people who have yet to hear that Jesus loves them. I want to ask you for personal healing. I want to ask you for the heart of God passionately burning for the people who are lost in our world. I'm going to ask you to pray. To pray and to pray and to pray and to pray. The revivals in the church that have started in the past have always been just commitments of people. Because the church is the sum of the activities of the whole. I don't feel like our flame has gone out. But I've seen it flicker. And I'd like to see that blowtorch again. Let's pray. Father God, as a body, we need you. As a body of believers, we pray for the infilling of your spirit. So powerfully, so fully, that we are changed by the presence of your spirit. That the fruit of the spirit comes out in our hearts. Lord, I am convicted to ask your forgiveness for letting my frustration and anger come out in a word that shouldn't have been said here. As a church, we need the outpouring of your spirit. As individuals, we need the infilling of your spirit. So we lay ourselves before you this morning.
pray for your heart to be our heart. We pray for you to help us understand and to know that following you is good news. That the church is a place of good news. And that each one of us is a carrier of good news. I pray for a passion for the lost. For a constant passion for prayer. For healing of our brokenness, wherever it may be. In Jesus' name, amen.